you. I'm going to give you that same nugget of advice. If God called you, saved you, redeemed you, he didn't do it just to leave you where you're at. Amen. And he's not done with you. Amen. Uh, the Bible says that it's him who works in me to do and to will according to his good pleasure. Amen. He's working in me to do what he wants to do. Okay. So when you're faced with situations where you're coming up uh, uh, with struggles or trials or, or even things that you haven't quite got over yet, God is going to use those things to mold you and to shape you into the person that God wants you to be. Can I get an amen somebody? Amen. We know I spent, I spent probably... Uh, Seven months one time preaching about how we need to grow through the crap that life gives us, okay? Uh, the manure. I spent a long time talking about manure and why manure is important. Amen? Manure is important. Uh, if you do like I do and you try to grow a garden without manure or without tilling the ground right or without actually separating your crops and actually doing the things that it takes to grow. Weeding your garden and tending your garden. Do you realize that every one of us when we come to Christ are now gardeners? He says bear fruit unto repentance. Amen? He also says these are the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, right? Faithfulness, self-control. All those, that I, and I missed a couple in there, okay? You can go read it in uh, Galatians or Ephesians, one of the two. It's in one of them. I always get them mixed up. I always think one of them is where the armor of God is supposed to be and the other one's where the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be. And I get them mixed up. One's in Ephesians, one's in Galatians. Right. Right, but I always get them mixed. You can tell me that three times. I've been studying the Bible 25 years, and I still get it mixed up, okay? <laughs> I still think one is in one place, and I'll find myself when I look for it. I'll go to Ephesians, and I'll go, well, that ain't the one I'm looking for, and I'll go to Galatians, and then I'll find it. <laughs> I don't know how I got it mixed up in my head, but at some point I did, okay? And it's stuck that way right now. Right, 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 because you're studying it, right. Well, the realities that we all are now gardeners. The Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. What does that mean? That means this thing isn't going to happen by osmosis. Amen. This work of God that's going on in you, yes, the Spirit of God is going to do it. Yes, God's going to use the Spirit of God to mold you and shape you and change you, but He's also going to use the Word of God. He's also going to use your circumstances. He's also going to use the people at your church who probably rub you the wrong way and you'd rather not look at again. He's going to use those people. He's going to use the people that leave, the people that, that hurt you. He's going to use all of these things to shape you because we are not promised an easy life in Christ. And it takes dedication it takes perseverance okay that's probably the least talked about fruit of the spirit is faithfulness okay faithfulness is the fruit of the spirit that i think the church today needs more than any other fruit of the spirit okay more than more than the gifts of the spirit more than tongues more than interpretation more than more than prophecy more than all of this stuff i think the church needs Faithful people, people who practice what they preach. They read the word of God. They pray. They pray for one another. They pray for their pastor. They pray for their church. They pray for their city. They, they pray. They seek God. They read God's word, and then they apply God's word to their life. And all of this has to be done faithfully. It can't be done on a whim. It can't be done a little bit here, a little bit over there. Amen? You just try going to work and say, well, I'm going to work a little bit, and then I'm going to sit around for six or seven hours, and I'll work a little more. It doesn't work. Amen? Not only that, you try to work on a relationship that way, a marriage that way. If your marriage was, hey, we're going to work on this tomorrow, and or we'll work on it two years from now, 
I have very little hope that you'll stay married. Amen? It's every day. Sometimes you got to put up with that sucker every time you open your eyes, huh, Carmen? That's the reality. You guys got to understand that the devil doesn't take a day off. The world doesn't take a day off. And guess what? Your flesh doesn't take a day off. Your flesh doesn't wake up one day and go, oh, man, you're there. You don't have to worry about me no more. Huh? What'd you say? Which one? Oh, you no, know, that's the that's that's the characteristics of love, but the fruit of the spirit is in Galatians. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and Ephesians is the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, shoes feet, uh, the shoes shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, shield of faith. Sword of the Spirit, all that stuff. Yeah, that's in Ephesians. All that stuff's important, and it's all that stuff that we're required to strive for. Okay? This is modern Christian. Now, this has nothing to do with what I'm going to preach about, okay? I'm just giving this all to you free, okay? <clears throat> no charge. This is the Christianity of today. <clears throat> Christianity today, and I'm going to sit on this table. Don't get upset, okay? <clears throat> Christianity today says that coming to church once a week, if I come once a week, that's faithful. Christianity today says, if I pray when I'm at church, then I've prayed. So I'm faithful in prayer. Christianity today says, well, you know, uh, I, I, I give when I can and when, when, you know, when, it's, when it's convenient for me. So I'm faithful. But we got to understand the perspective of Christ was that if you did not take up your cross, deny yourself and follow him, you could not be his disciple. He says you cannot. That means you do not have the ability to be my disciple outside of a heart change that says I'm willing to lay it all down. Amen? I can't help you any more than that. Jesus said, unless you renounce all that you have and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Period. Amen? Modern Christianity is so relaxed in everything it does that if I was to call you, if I was to stand up here on Sunday morning and say, listen here, church, we're going to meet every day. We're going to break bread every day. We're going to pray every day as a body of believers. We're going to do this every day. I probably wouldn't be pastor very long. Okay. I'd be like, we need to vote uh, Kyle. Kyle, you don't want to do it every day. Let's vote for Kyle. You know what I mean? The realities that we think that's faithfulness. Well, I did my duty. Your duty is not what happens on Sunday morning. Your duty is what happens every day of your life living for Christ. Because you realize that you're no longer your own. Amen? The Bible says that you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. You're no longer in charge. It's not Tamara's body. It's not, it's not uh, Shirley's body. It's not Kevin's body. It's God's temple. Amen? That's what we need to get. We need to get there because they took it serious, okay? It, the early church was so serious. Now, just think of some of the sins that you've seen in church, okay? I just want you to know. Just think of one sin that you know happened in a church you went to, and it was grievous, okay? It was like the most horrible sin you could think of, and you're like, I cannot believe that happened. I can't believe that person done that. I can't believe they was a part of the church and did that. Okay? Now watch this. The Holy Spirit killed Ananias and Sapphira for lying. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit of God and he struck them dead. And that's not Old Testament. That's New Testament. That's Weeks after the day of Pentecost, when they were all meeting together in one accord and they were selling their goods 
and, and giving everything to the poor and living in one accord with one another. And Ananias and Sapphira sold a plot of land and lied and said they gave all of it to the church and they didn't. Now, the problem wasn't that they gave it all to the church. They didn't have to give any of it to the church. They weren't required to do this. This was supposed to be done if they wanted to, if the Lord required it of them, if they felt led to do it, that's what they were to do. They could have sold the land and they could have gave half of it to the church and said, hey, we're giving you half of the money that we got from this. Amen? It's theirs. They can do what they want with it. But they lied and they made out like they did everything that they had gotten for the land to the church. Now, I'm telling you, We've seen some grievous things in modern-day American church. And if we think that what we allow is pleasing to God and that God is okay with it, we have another thing coming. Amen? We do not take sin as seriously as we should in the modern Christian church. We do not have a serious thought towards personal sin. Oh, we're real good at pointing out other people's stuff, right? Like, I can tell Sister Susie so-and-so how bad she is. I can tell Brother brother Bart, who, whoever, that he's a bad person. But, you know, they sin. I just make mistakes. See, see what I did there? I made what they did sin. But what I do, you know, God just understands me. Well, he does. But he also understands you need to change. Amen? Come on. Nowhere in the Christian life do you see Christ saying, come to me, I'll save you free of charge, and then you can do whatever you want. It's not in the Bible. Christ never said it. Yes, yes. Yeah, he said, since we're compassed round about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us. Run with patience the race that's set before us. Now, I know that ain't the verse you're talking about. But the reality is, the same principle is applied in both of those chapters. Christ saves us. Christ sanctifies us. And he's always working on sanctifying us. If you've gotten to the point in your life where you don't think you have any more change to do, I'm praying for you. You're the first one on my prayer list. You're going to be the last one I pray for every time I pray because you need help. But if you realize there's problems, then this is an indication that God is working on your heart and working in your soul to change you. You may not be there yet, but you're on your way. Amen? All right, now we're going to get to Genesis chapter 11. <laughs> and I'm going to make it quick, okay? Because I already took up 20 minutes preaching about something that had nothing to do. Look, sometimes it's okay just to let God do what he wants to do, okay? There's some things that's got to be said, and we need to say them. Amen? Uh, this is what you call spirit-led preaching, okay? I had a, I had a, a plan, and God had other plans. Now, what we're reading tonight absolutely deals with the topic that I just brought up. Sure does. You're going to go, how in the world does the Tower of Babel apply to anything you just said? Just watch and see. Just watch and see, okay? Go to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to start reading at verse 1. We're going to verse 9. And the whole earth was one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from east, uh, from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to and let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. 
And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into the heavens or unto the heavens. And let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had builded. And the Lord said, Behold, this people is one, and they have all one language, and they begin to do. And now nothing will be nothing will restrain uh, nothing will be restrained from them. Excuse me, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So that the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore the name of that place is called Babel, because the Lord did there confound their language, of the languages of all the earth, and there thence did the Lord scatter them abroad over the face of all the earth. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We pray, God, that you would help us as we rightly divide your word. And we pray, God, that you would give us wisdom to understand it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, the first phrase of this says, the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And if you were here uh, Wednesday night, you'll remember that I said that in chapter 10, every one of these genealogies ends with this. And these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their land, everyone after his tongue, after their family, and after their nation. That is Genesis 10 and 1, or excuse me, 10 and 5. And then Ham's descendants end this same way. If you go and you find Ham's descendants, it says in verse 20 of, of chapter 10, these are the sons of Ham after their families, after their tongues, in their own countries, and in their nations, right? And then finally, verse 32, these are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations, in their nations, and by these the nations divided in all of the earth after the flood. Now I want you to notice that in chapter 10 he says they divided they were all divided by their families, their nations, and their tongue, their languages. So what we see in chapter 11 is what happened prior to them having their own languages, their own nations, and their own tongues. Has to be. Because Genesis 11 starts out, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Amen? That's what it says. So we have to understand chapter 11 is what's happening when the sons of Noah get off the boat and they start to go inhabit the land. Okay? And something happened in that period where they were going out from Mount Ararat, which would be in Turkey, right? They were going out towards the, the Arabian Peninsula, you know, down towards uh, uh, Shinar, which is down by Babylon or Iraq, okay? So they're coming out here, and they get stopped in the plains of Shinar, okay? Now this uh, phrase, the plains of Shinar, I want you to understand, this is not mentioned by happenstance, okay? The plains of Shinar is the territory of Nimrod. If you go back to uh, Genesis 10, you'll look at verse uh, 9, we'll start there, or 8, excuse me. And Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, where is it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Now watch this, this is the verse that you want to know. 
and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Ekra, Akkad, and Cana in the land of Shinar. Okay? So this family, it seems that the descendants of Sham, Ham, and Japheth have left the ark and their father, and they went out to inhabit the land, but they went together. Okay? Because what we see in chapter 11 is it says, verse 2, and it came to pass as they journeyed. Who's they? That's the people from the previous chapter, right? That's Shem, Ham, and Japheth's descendants, right? As they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Now, what did God command them to do when they left the ark? He said, go forth, multiply, and scatter abroad on the face of the whole earth, right? You're supposed to go out, be fruitful, multiply, and fill, replenish the whole earth, right? This whole Tower of Babel experience, I summed up in one phrase, which I titled, Human Rebellion. They were told, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And what did they do? They went out together and they settled in one land together in rebellion against God's command. They stayed there. Now watch what they say. I want you to hear the arrogance of their voice. And they said one to another, go and let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. Now, I want to deal with this word slime here, okay, because the, the King James says slime, and it's not a wrong term. It's just an older term, okay? Uh, the Hebrew word for slime is chemar. If you're spelling it in English, it's going to be C-H-E-M-A-R, chemar, okay? And it is Hebrew word 2564 in your Strong's Concordance, and it means slime, pitch, asphalt, or bitumen. If you don't know what bitumen is, it's it's basically tar, asphalt tar, naturally occurring asphalt tar. Okay, so they had obviously some of this stuff around to lay as the 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 mortar for their bricks that they're making. Uh, another thing of note is in Israel, like with the the King Solomon's temple and a lot of the other places. They just hewn big rocks to build these things, big stones, right? Apparently in Babel or in this area of Shinar, they did not have any rock quarries, so they had to make their own bricks and fire them, okay? If you don't know how bricks are made, you put some, uh, some, some hay and some uh, stubble and stuff in a, in a bucket with a bunch of clay and mud and, and you form it into bricks, and then you put it in a big kiln, and you fire it, and they get hard and waterproof. And that's how you make brick, okay? That's how they used to make brick, and then they would just build this tower with these bricks. But it's their wording in the next verse that really gets you. I want you to notice this. And they said, go to let us build us a city. Let us build us a city. Okay? Now watch this. And a tower whose top may reach unto the heavens. Let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now this speaks to the very point that I'm trying to make, that this was rebellion against God's command to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So they decide to go together to the land of Shinar, and they want to settle there. And then they said, let us make bricks, and let us make this mortar. And then they said, let us make us a city, 
right? Isn't that what it says? Let us make us a city and a tower. Now, what was the purpose of this tower? It was the tower was going to reach unto the heavens. In other words, the realm where God lives. That's why they're building the tower. So that, first of all, they're walking in complete disobedience to God. And they settled in this land, right? Settled in this land when God said, go everywhere, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the whole earth. Instead, they go together, settle in this land, and decide, we're going to build us a city and us a tower that reaches unto the heavens. In other words, I don't want to listen to God. I want to circumvent God. And if we can get to where God is, then we can be God. Does this sound familiar? Satan said, I will ascend unto the throne of God and make my throne above the throne of God. The whole point of this tower was they were just going to show God that they did not need him. They were going to show God that they could build a, a, a city and a tower all on their own. They can do it with their own strength, with their own technology, with their own ingenuity, their own uh, God-given talent. They were smart as God. They were as strong as God. And they could do everything God does. And if they could build that tower unto the heavens, then they too could be God and would thumb their nose at God. This is the point of this tower. If you don't think that's right, read the last of that verse. It says, lest we be scattered over the face of of the whole earth which is exactly what God told them to do anyway so the point of building the tower was number one for their glory he, it says let us build a city and build a tower that the tower reaching the heavens let us make us a name they're trying to make a name for themselves see that it says it right there Look, let us make us a name. That, sometimes the King James is so simple, it's, it's eerie, okay? But it says, let us make us a name. Let us make us a name. Let's make us a name that's as big as God's. Let us, let us build us a kingdom, a tower, a city. That's going to rival God, but it shows the pale comparison that God looks at. It would be like ants looking at this building and going, we're going to make, we're going to make an ant hill that's going to make this place look like, you know, uh, a matchbox. But they couldn't do it. Even if they wanted to, they couldn't do that, okay? I want you to realize that this is all part of rebellion against God. Now, I want to deal with verse 5 because verse 5 often is misunderstood, and I don't want you to misunderstand it. Verse 5 says, and let us come down to see the city and the tower which the children of men now, first of all, the Lord did not come down to see because he could not see from where he was. Okay? God does not come down there because God's some old coot sitting on his throne in heaven going, I can't quite see from here what they're doing down there. I wonder what they're doing. Hold on. Baby, you got my better glasses? He ain't up there doing that. God didn't come down there to see it because he didn't, couldn't see it from where he was. I wrote myself a note. I said, God, the rebe their rebellion, their rebellion, however, has caused God's righteous, holy judgment to come and bring reckoning to man's prideful, sinful, lofty efforts. That's why God came down. He didn't come down because he didn't know what was going on, okay? God didn't set up on his throne and go, man, oh, wow, wow, look how tall that tower is. 
okay? I'm sure this tower had nothing on, you know, let's just do, what's the, what's the biggest mountain in the world? Come on, somebody, I can't remember it right off the top of my head. The one they try climbing all the time, Mount, uh, uh, huh? Mount Everest, yeah. Trying to climb Mount Everest, right? Like, do you think this tower was as tall as Mount Everest? I doubt it. I doubt it, okay? There's no man-made structure that's ever been made that even comes close to Mount Everest, okay? Not even close. I want you to Google. Google this right now. Google how tall the tallest building is and then Google how tall Mount Everest is, okay? Now, while I'm talking about this, while he's doing that, I'm going to keep talking, okay? The Lord came down to see this tower because God's judgment is fixing to take place, which is exactly what he comes down and does, right? God's judgment comes down. That's why he gets off his throne. He doesn't get off his throne because he can't see what's going on. He didn't get off his throne because he didn't know what was going on, okay? Either God's all-knowing and all-seeing, or he isn't, okay? So if we agree that he is, we have to understand God didn't get up to go down there to see it because he couldn't see where he was at because God's omnipresent also. That means God was just as much in heaven as he was right there beside them while they were building this tower anyway. Amen? So, what do you got? Did you find anything? Okay, let me know. Burr's Khalif. Is how tall? <laughs> yeah, he was like, that name is enough for me. I've got to write the name down. 2,700 feet, right? Is that what you said? 2,700 feet. Okay. 2,717 feet. Now, I want you, how tall is Mount Everest? That's all we need to know. Huh? 29,000 feet, okay? The tallest building that we have today is 2,717 feet tall. And Mount Everest is 29,000 feet tall. That means you can fit about half of how many, how much is half of 29? I'm terrible at math. Like 16, 15 and a half, right? You can fit like 15 and a half Burj Khalifs stacked on top of each other. And then you would get to how tall Mount Everest is. Okay? This is the reality that man is completely incapable of doing what God does. But man, in his rebellion does not care. Right? Now watch this. God gets off his throne and he didn't get off because he couldn't see and he didn't get off because he didn't know. Amen? I want to read a note that I have in my King James Bible about verse 6. We're going to read verse 6 and then we're going to read this note to you, okay? And the Lord said, Behold, this people is one and they have all one language. And this, uh, and hold on, excuse me. And this they began to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Let us go down and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Now, verse 6 oftentimes is painted as if God is scared that people will somehow be able to attain to God's level somehow. Like God's afraid, oh no, nothing's going to be impossible for these people, so I better do something or they'll come after me. That's not what God's saying. That's not why God does this. I want to read this note to you, and then you're going to go, duh, okay? Let me read this note. God's concern had nothing to do with the people might imagine 
with what the people might imagine to do would be restrained from them. This does not express a divine fear that humans might someday become as powerful as God. This has nothing to do with that. Here's the reality check that I want to give everybody. God is the unique, one and only, ever-living, all-powerful, all-knowing, unsearchable God that created everything, including me and you. And because we are finite, limited creatures, we will never, could never, it is impossible for human beings to become as powerful as God. Period. You fling the stars into the velvet of the night. You speak a planet into existence right now and, and then we can argue. But until then, you must submit to the fact that God is the only one like him. Amen? So this has nothing to do with that. Now, rather, it conveys dismay that people left unchecked would undertake extraordinary deeds of evil and defiance. Duh. That's what God is saying. That nothing will be withheld from them. They will do all manner of evil if left unchecked. That's what he's worried about. Never in the history of the universe did God do like, uh, you know, sometimes we think God's sitting up there like a president, and, you know, and he's just trying to run a campaign, and one of these days he's afraid he might get voted out of office. God will never be voted out of office. God will never be dethroned. God has never been in the history of the world ever been uh, close there's nothing, nothing created. Not even Satan has any. His, his power is minuscule compared to God. God's throne will never be in danger of being taken. Amen? What kind of God do we serve that we think Satan can kick God off his own throne? What kind of God do we serve that we think that God is somehow in danger of losing this thing called his kingdom and his rule and his reign. It's not going to happen. This is not what this scripture is teaching. This scripture is clearly stating that these people are going to be completely unhinged if I don't put checks and balances here. Also, God's reasoning for confounding their language is built into the very fact that God commanded them to go forth, uh, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. They were not doing that while they were all living in this one city trying to build this one tower unto heaven to make a name for themselves. They were not fulfilling God's plan. Amen? Now, I got good news for you. There's some times in your life where it looks like you're, you know, foiling God's plan. Like you're, you're messing everything all up. But I got something to tell you, okay? <laughs> Job 42 and 2 says that nothing can thwart God's plan. Nothing, not you, not Satan, not anything. Nothing. Our God, what, what, what psalm is that now? I'm going to get all messed up. Psalm 116, I think. 115. Our God sits in heaven and does whatsoever he pleases. Amen. He doesn't, he, he, he's not sitting around going, man, if they do this, then I'm going to have to do this. If they do that, I'm going to have to do this. He ain't doing that. God sees the end from the beginning. God's, God's in control. Amen. We, you know, we used to have bumper stickers and people kind of halfway used to believe God was in control. And then, you know, a lot of people say, I believe God's in control of my life, right? And then when everything goes wrong, they go, oh, God left me. No, he didn't leave you. 
He walked you right through that junk. And he'll walk you right out the other side. You understand me? Verse uh, 7. Let us go down, therefore, and confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and left off, and they left off building that city. Now, this is the, this is the part that I want to leave with you. God, when he got off his throne, got off his throne because he was about to bring judgment. But God didn't bring judgment just for the sake of judging. God brings judgment to bring correction. And it brought about God's will. Because God's will, when they got off the ark, was to go forth and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was not happening. God came down, confounded their languages, and then they spread off to all. So when you go read Genesis 10, these are the people that lived in this city. These are the people that lived in that land. These are the people that lived in that land. This happened in the days of Peleg. In those days, the land was divided. That's Genesis 10. Uh, I got a note for that. Genesis 10, verse, where did I go? 25. Go read Genesis 10, 25 with me. I'm going to show you. Genesis 10, 25. It says right here. And unto Eber was born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his day was the earth divided, and his brother name, his brother's name was Jotun. So when it says in his day the land was that the earth was divided, that's what it's talking about. These generations lived a few generations in Shinar, trying to build this tower. God came down and confounded their language and then they finally went out and spread to the places that God already had established that they would be. Amen? Well, you know, the, the reality is, just think about it. God comes down and they all spoke one language, one tongue, and then God confounds their language. Can you imagine trying to just all of a sudden, uh, a language that you're not born with, the language that, and there's like 10, 15 other languages all around you, just all at once, people you used to talk to, now you couldn't understand. You would have to go to the different places where people understood you. It would be easy. It's the most common thing to do, right? God did that for a purpose. And it caused them to spread abroad over the whole earth because the people that spoke this language went that way. People spoke this language went that way. Amen? God's purpose was to get them back to where he wanted them to be to begin with. Amen? Now, I want to, I got a verse for you for that, and I want to I give it to you so you uh, know I'm not just making all this up. <laughs> not that you would anyway, okay? Uh, Genesis 9 and 1. Go to Genesis 9 and 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. This is the command. Amen. And them living in this plain of Shinar, building this tower for their own self, for their own glory, so that they could be like God, doesn't that sound like rebellion? Doesn't that sound like uh, arrogance and, and, and pride? Amen? So that they would not have to be scattered over the face of the whole earth. That was their reasoning. What was their reasoning for building this tower? So that they didn't have to obey God. And this is the reason we all build towers. This is the reason we all 
build our own little strongholds and try to hide in them and hide behind them and say, oh no, I'm not going to do what God said. One day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. God will win no matter what. Why? Because Job 42 and 2, God, none of his plans can be thwarted. Not at all. Amen. This is the ultimate rebellion of God's creation. Wanting to make their self God. I got one more note here in the, the uh, King James study Bible here. And it's about the word Babel here. Because it says they named that place Babel. Verse 9. Therefore the name of it is called Babel because the Lord did confound their language of all the earth and thence did all the Lord scatter abroad the uh, scatter them abroad over the face of all the earth the name Babel here is the same Hebrew word translated Babylon throughout the Old Testament the connection between the words Babel and confound Babel and Balal constitute another of many word plays in this chapter. The Lord's actions or the Lord's action had two positive outcomes. First, because it confounded the language of all the earth, it ended the possibility of large-scale evil ventures. Secondly, it caused humanity to scatter upon the face of the earth, thus bringing people into compliance with God's command to fulfill and fill the earth of Genesis 9 and 1. Last little note about this word Babel or Babel that's used there that is actually translated Babylon in the, much of the Old Testament. The word Babel means to confuse, to mix, to mingle. That's what the word there, when they use that word Babel, right there, that's exactly what that word means. To mix, to confuse, to mingle. Because that's what God did there. That's why they named that place that. Amen. We have no idea that it was even named Babel before the tower was built. Amen. For all intents and purposes, it probably was not called Babel until then. And it was probably called that by the people that stayed there finally. Right? Because all the other people had left. And these people stayed there and they said, hey, we're calling this place Babel because this is where God confounded the languages. Right? Scattered people over the face of the whole earth. Now, as bad as we can look at this and go, all oh, these people, why would they do that? What are they thinking? Amen? We always do that, right? We look at them and go, man, I sure wouldn't do that, wouldn't you? Don't you do it anyway? Don't we do that anyway? We create our own little towers in our life and we put, build monuments to ourselves. Look, I, look what I did over here. Look what I did over there. And oh man, I'm great, right? All the time, what we should be saying is, look at what God did. Look how God changed me. Look how God's made me a different creature. Look how God's continuing to make me different. Amen. And it's through reading things like this that can bring awareness to us about how we live and how we're changed. Amen? Why? Because this thing brings out in us those moments where we talk about us the way these people talked about us. Let us build us a tower. Let us make us a name. Amen? That's what we do. So this is absolutely tied into everything I said at the beginning of this. Human pride, human rebellion, human hearts, wicked above all things and wants only to rebel against God. And it is constant prayer. It is constant vigilance. It's constantly being in the word, praying, praying in the spirit, singing songs, being with brothers and sisters in Christ, being with one another, standing on our faith, Presenting the gospel to other people, showing other people what God's done in our life, giving those testimonies. These are all part of the things that God uses to make me 
look more like Christ. Amen? Now you see how this Tower of Babel works in with everything I said before this started. It's amazing that God's word is so consistent because we're still fighting the same battle that was being waged then. And that's this flesh. This dirt suit that every one of us has that all by itself, without any help from the devil, will do evil all by itself. Now, the world and the devil don't help. Can I get an amen? amen? But this is why it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say sit back and relax and let God do it. It says, work it out. Because there's work involved. Not work for salvation. Work after you're saved. The work that I do, that I have to follow God, I have to, uh, I have to submit myself to God, repent, believe, all these things are things that are done in the life of Christians. And they're not things that God does all by himself and you don't have anything to do with. This is all stuff. He to Paul throughout the New Testament. He says, put on the new man. Hold on a minute, isn't he just going to come on me all by himself? Nope. How does it happen? Prayer, reading the word, applying the word, being around other believers who can hold you accountable, believing that, uh, being, being around other believers you allow to hold you accountable. Being with other believers where you're truthful with other believers, where they can honestly look at you and go, hey, that ain't right. And you can go, yeah. I'm working on that. And not go, oh, you know, I, you know, I'm saved anyway. Well, yeah, you are, but that's not the point. The point is that's still got to change, right? That's what we need. We need that change. That's not a change that happens one time when we're saved and then just all of a sudden everything's better. That's a change that goes every day of my life. Every day. I have to wake up and go, God, change me. I'm still not there. God, help me. I'm still not there. God, I need your grace. It's a good thing his mercies are new every morning because I need them every morning. Can I get an amen? amen. I'm going to close. I've been preaching way too long. I want you to think about that. I want you to pray about it. I want you to, when you read these Old Testament passages, I don't want you to just think, oh, it's a nice story. No, it has meaning. It's got deep meaning got meaning that can really be applied to our life. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, we praise you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, for the work of salvation in our life. Lord, for the work of the Spirit in our life. For the work of your word in our life and our hearts. God, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Tonight, God, we need to build up in our most holy faith. So we're going to pray and ask you, God, to build us up, to strengthen us in our inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, and that we would be filled with all of the measure of the fullness of God, that we with all the other saints might be able to comprehend the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, that we might be fully efficient, fully furnished for every good work, and we know that comes by the reading, studying, and applying of your word. Lord, we pray that you would use it to conform us to your image. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.